Welcome back to the Draft Nut Podcast. It's good to be back. The break was well-deserved, well-needed. You know, such a a sense of relief coming back on, you know, because it's something that's been missing from my bi-weekly time, you know, just having that podcast with my co-host every Tuesday and Thursday, you know, getting ready, talk prospects, all that, college football, NFL, you name it. We're here to talk about prospects, all that, today. And what I mean by we, I mean myself and the returning of Devin Jackson to the Draft Nut Podcast. Devin, welcome back to the pod, bro. How have you been? And I've been good. Uh, it's it's definitely been a, a challenging time these last few months, uh, not being able to do a podcast, really do anything about podcast, give my full analysis on things. And, you know, on top of that, lost my Twitter account for a month. I got to thank you for Kevin Jackson hashtag. Uh, definitely, a, definitely a fun time on Twitter. Um, but uh, for those who don't know, I had to uh, kind of take a step back uh, just from my job. Um, it was kind of a non-compete thing, so they uh, they basically told me that I couldn't do anything outside of work, uh, so I had to kind of take a break from podcasting, uh, writing articles, uh, really creating content in general, um, and then on top of that, I lost my Twitter account for a month. Um, so it, it like I said, it's been a been challenging for the last few months, but uh, now that's behind me, uh, and, and everything with that is behind me, and, and now that I can uh, do things more freely. Definitely more excited to to get back and, and be able to to talk prospects, talk ball, and uh, you know just just get my thoughts on players and, and get back to where I, where I was in, in January, February, kind of, kind of earlier in the year. So many of us at Blue Chip Scouting and also all over Draft Twitter, we're super excited to have you back, creating content like you should should have been doing the last few months. But, of course, your work kind of forbid you from doing that. Um, I have my thoughts and opinions on that, but I don't want to piss anyone off. So I'm going to keep them inside, <laughs> keep them inside, keep them to myself and in private, you know. But it's great to have you back by my side as well as Mike and Nick's side on Big Shots. Um, I'm excited to have you back producing content again, getting summer evals done. Um, so bro, you ready to get started? You ready to talk about everything that's been going on really for the last couple months or just last week or so, because there have been some stuff that us at Blue Chip Scouting have done as well as a problem that relates to all of us on draft Twitter, including, you know, creating content wise, um, and also we'll get into a couple prospects we've watched um, over the last couple of days or so. So let's go ahead and get started with the Blue Chip Scouting All-American teams. Um, Devin and I um, have done our uh, or have created our All-American teams for the unanimous or for the, for the census Blue Chip Scouting All-American teams. Um, ben Glassmeyer. Uh, tweeted out the post of the of the All American team, the full list of the All American team. So, Devin, what are some surprises that you noticed from not only my list but from the overall list of the first team All American, second team, third team? Anything that really surprised you? Or anything that you disagree with, what 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 stood out to you? Well, uh, for me, uh, you know, I, I think we were all pretty in line uh, with the first team quarterback. There were a few people that uh, you know uh, decided to go elsewhere uh, outside Spencer Rattler, but I think generally speaking, the first team most people had about the same uh, across the board. I think there are a few players that, you know, some people were higher on, some people were lower on, but uh, the consensus guys, I think there are no brainers. Uh, obviously, Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, DeMarvin Leal, um, 
you know, uh, Derek Stingley, um, Kyle Hamilton as well. I think those were no-brainers um, in terms of first-teamers. I think on, like, on the offensive line, uh, you know, Jackson Kirkland, uh, Kenyon Green, Zion Johnson, all of them were, were pretty much uh, consensus-type guys. I think it was more interesting on the second and third team because we saw a lot more dichotomy across people, and I, especially on the third team. I think a lot of people were kind of basically putting some of their favorite guys in, on that third team, which which makes sense. I mean, you you got everybody has favorites in it, and everyone kind of sees things th- differently. Um, but uh, I I guess I was surprised about the quarterbacks uh, per se, uh, especially on the third team because it, it was it was a mixed bag. You know, you had some people say Malik Willis, some people say Bryce Young, some say Carson Strong um, as their th- third team quarterback. Sam Howell, uh, Phil, Phil Jerkovic, Jerkovic got a few votes, so I think. Uh, Basically, after maybe the top two guys, obviously, uh, you got Spencer Rattler and the DJ. Uh, how do you say his last name again? Is it DJ? Uh, it's DJ Yui Angale. Yui Angale. Um, he got votes on all all the teams, so it was just interesting. And uh, you know, there was a point brought up in, in the group chat that you know, how can we? say he's on, you know, one of the teams if he's only played like two start two games, but he just showed that much ability and uh really he has he has that kind of that factor that it doesn't matter where you are in the game, it seems like he can make any throw on the field. So I think that was kind of the reason everyone at least had him on a team. Uh I know I put him on a third team personally because um just I don't know what we're going to expect from him in a full season. And I, I kind of went with the safe bet with going Sam Howell's second team uh, simply because I, I've seen him play. I know what he can do. Um, while DJ, he we saw flashes of what he can do, but we haven't seen a full offense and scheme based around him, which I have no doubt that he'll probably succeed in. But um, that was kind of my reasoning. But I, I was more intrigued, I, I think, with the defense in the second and third teams. Uh, especially at cornerback uh, and linebacker. I think those were some of the, the highest dichotomies in, in terms of uh, what, where people were, um, you know, putting them. You know, you, you had names like Kair uh, Elam. Uh, you, you got uh, Travis Hodges-Tomlinson, Tom, uh, Ahmad Garner in the mix, Eli Ricks Jr., Andrew Booth. I mean, we had so many different guys named on the second team and third teams. So I think – that shows you that the depth of this corner class is probably even maybe even better than this year's um, in, in terms of at the top. I mean, we got so many guys that could rise. You know, we got Andrew Booth Jr., got Darian Kendrick, who just uh, transferred to UTA. So for me, I think it was the cornerback position probably had the highest dichotomy as well as the tight end position. Uh, I saw a lot of different names on those second and, second and third teams as well. So uh, for me, I think it, I think it's just interesting how we already have dichotomy. Uh, we're only like what two months into into this class, so uh, I I just want to get a shout out to everyone Blue Chip Scouting because it wasn't easy making those lists. Uh, it definitely took me about an hour or two to, to decide over some of the names, especially on those second and third teams. Um, but it, and, and we even overlooked some good players as well. That just shows you how deep. Uh, college football is in general, uh, not even from a draft perspective, but more of a, you know, you, you can account for all the, the different classes. You know, you don't have to, to just stick to the draft eligible guys. So I thought that was interesting uh, to see everyone's kind of different dichotomy. But generally speaking, the premium guys all got on the list. You know, everyone that should have been on the list was likely on the list. It was just a few guys that just missed the cut or, or you know, some people – viewed higher or viewed lower, but, but it was definitely interesting for sure. There there was definitely a lot of diversity in terms of how, like, the different types of players on the third team from what I'm looking at here. Um, Dante's list is completely is, like, has so many different names that, like, I didn't even consider. Um, Garrett has some names. Mike has some names. Russell, Luca. Nick, Ben, Tyler, you know, it, it, there were so there was so much diversity with that group um, in terms of who they had for each position. Um, 
a few guys that um, I'm really looking forward to to see like really where they can take the next step in terms of being one of the best at their position in college football. I could see Miles Murphy, Clemson um, pass rusher. Um, he is a rising sophomore, very, very talented. I mean, he, he already looks like an NFL defensive end in terms of just size and um, the tools he possesses. I mean, he is a very, very talented um, pass rusher. I'm expecting a big year from um, Miles Murphy. Tyler Davis, um, another player to watch. That that could be a potential riser for the upcoming 2022 draft class, assuming um, assuming Tyler Davis does declare. Um, Keishon um, Boutte, that that's a name that really stood out to me when it came to this list. I think that's someone that we will really need to keep an eye on these next couple years, especially uh, when it comes to the 2023 draft, because Boutte, if um, if people don't remember correctly. Um, I think he put up 300 yards. Um, I don't remember who it was against, but he just dominated. And I was like, oh, LSU might have another really good receiver um, at hand. And I went back and watched some LSU offensive tape. Uh, Boutte is a real deal. Um, it, it's just going to be interesting to see what the quarterback position will look like at LSU. Um, another player I'm really excited to watch and um, – and you you listed out um, you listed him out on the third team at running back. Um, uh, Zonovan Knight is that how you say his name? Zonovan Knight. Um, I saw Joe Marino, the Draft Network, um, a good friend of the pod. He um, he did an article on him, breaking him down a little bit. And um, that's a name from NC State that I'm very curious to see how well he does this up- upcoming season. Um, I, I saw him mention. Knight with this in the same sense as Travis Etienne in terms of playmaking ability, so that kind of intrigues me when it comes to guys to look after um, for uh, the summer scouting process. Um, for the receivers I had in my third team, Justin Ross, John Mechie, and um, Keishon Boutte. Um, Justin Ross, that that's going to be a cure, that's going to be a very interesting watch because. We haven't seen him play since 2019, and um, he missed all 2020 because of a neck injury. I don't know when he's going to be back. I haven't seen anything from Clemson insiders about uh, when exactly he'll be back, but they're they're pretty confident he'll be back at some point this season. It could be as early as week one against Georgia. Um, we just don't know. Um, John Mechie could be the next great Alabama wide receiver to come out of that program since last year with Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith. Um, Mechie, Mechie's pretty talented himself, but I think he has the ability to take that next step um, as one of the best um, in college football at his position. On my first team, um, one of the unanimous um, players on um, for Blue Chip Scouting, Garrett Wilson, wide receiver out of Ohio State. More than likely, he'll be our wide receiver three Overall, for all of us, um, extremely talented receiver, um, a great route runner, great ball skills, great run after catch ability, um, j- just a phenomenal player. I mean, it was a no doubter he was um, going to be the top guy for us at that position. Um, I-, I was surprised I didn't see Chris Olave more on this list, and um, Chris Olave returned to college football is returning to college football this season. Um, he decided to forego the NFL draft. He probably would have been a second-round pick, most likely, maybe even a first-round pick. Um, but I think coming back another year, adding more to his repertoire, that will really help him out in terms of his draft stock. And he could end up challenging his teammate Garrett Wilson for that receiver one spot. And now, granted, some of the prospects we have mentioned – um, are either non-draft eligible, they have to be a redshirt junior or a redshirt sophomore um, or junior to be eligible for the NFL draft, um, or at least three years removed from um, high school, or two or three years removed from high school. Um, so some of the names we have listed here are either eligible or non-eligible. There are um, a couple names that are non 
eligible players. Um, um, Elias Ricks Jr. is on my first team All-American roster. You know, the, it, the kid is very talented. And him and Singley are probably going to be the best cornerback duo in college football, most likely next season. Um, I mean, it's a very good, good group of corners they have at LSU. Um, that's definitely a candidate for DBU again this year. Um, Noah, uh, Noah Sewell, um, the brother of Panay Sewell, that's a name that we're going to be watching for the next couple of years as he continues to improve as a player, continues to grow as a player. He was one of the best linebackers in college football last season. I don't think people will realize that as a freshman. That's very, very impressive. Um, most of the players on this list are draft eligible, um, especially on the first team. Very excited to see some of these players grow. On my second team, um, a player I'm really, really looking forward to evaluating is Zay Flowers. Um, I know um, Russell Joukowsky, um, part uh, one of our, our ACC scout for Blue Chip Scouting, he has very high praise of Zay Flowers. I'm very look. I'm really looking forward to seeing him um, on tape here um, this summer. You know, there, and with the second team as well. Like I mentioned with the third team, there's a lot of diversity. I think one thing that I think a lot of us struggled with was um, special teams because we had really no idea who any of the top special team guys were except for maybe Cade York and Cameron Dicker. Um, So, I mean, it it was a struggle for me trying to find who some of the top kick returners were in college football. You know, I really had to dig at some of the statistics and see, like, okay, who, like, really just dominated in the kick return game or did an excellent job in that area. Um, First team I had Aaron um, uh, Kirkshank um, as my top or as my first team kick returner. um, Deshaun Jamison for my second team out of Texas, and then um, Giles Jackson um, for my third team. You know, there, and again, there's a lot of diversity here, but the first team was really more kind of like set in stone. There were plenty of guys we knew. Okay, these are definitely the top guys at their position in college football. The, it, what was interesting to me was there was more diversity at the quarterback position because, I mean, you still have Spencer Rattler, um, DJ Uyongale, um, some of the top names there. Like, there was more diversity there. There's also diversity a little bit at the running back position. Um, some um, at tight end, you had Jalen Wattemeyer, um, Jaheel uh, Billingsley, and Michael Meyer as the two top, as the three top tight ends um, it, for some of these guys on their first team. So, it's a very, very interesting list from all these guys to see who they think is the top player at their respective positions. Um, and we were talking about this in the Blue Chips Guying um, group chat. Our all-American teams are probably better than the AP American teams because usually they come out with players that we would never consider for, um, for um, first, second, or even third team. Um, honorable mentions for sure, but some of them, no way. Um, that, um, I really enjoyed making this list. Um, I'm very excited to see a lot of these players grow, um, especially the quarterback position because there is a lot, uh, a lot of talent that with another year of progression, I think the 2022 class could be one of the best we've ever seen in terms of potential. And if there's more progress made by plenty of these quarterbacks, that top, that the top and more depth um, that we see in that group, that's going to be very intriguing to see um, once we get towards the end of the season. Um, it'll be really interesting to see actually who is the top quarterback in, in the 2022 NFL draft. Will it still be Spencer Rattler or will it be Malik Willis? Will it be Sam Howell? Will it be Matt Carroll? Will it be off the top of my head? That's really all I can think of right now. Um, uh, Carson Bill Strong. Carson Strong. Um, 
I'll put out JD, I'll put out Jaden Daniels as long as he doesn't transfer from um, Arizona State because of their whole recruiting problem thing going on. Not really up to date with that, um, but that's something to keep an eye on moving forward. Um, a name that I want to talk about, and this is where we kind of lead into some of the um, prospects we've been watching the last um, little while. Um, a name I want to start out with is our, our is our unanimous um, defensive end vote um, for the Blue Chips Guiding All-American team, and that is Kayvon um, Thibodeau, um, pass rusher from Oregon. I, evaluate, I finally, finally got to his evaluation last night or over the last two nights. Um, this is the best player I've watched of any of the prospects I've watched for summer scouting. Now, granted, I've only watched maybe five or six guys, but Thibodeau um, is the first one with a top ten talent grade, uh, with a blue chip grade. Uh, Thibodeau, um, looking at my notes here, it, it when you talk about a player that can really um, continue to progress himself while also making a case to be one of the best pass rushers to come out of the NFL draft um, since Chase Young, since Miles Garrett and whatnot, Thibodeau or Thibodeau can be that guy. Um, some of the notes I have down for him, um, he he is super explosive off the line of scrimmage. Um, you, you when you watch him on TV, if you're just a casual fan just watching on TV, you'll see just this dude just come off the line with incredible speed and quickness. Um, he makes up a lot of ground with his first few steps. Um, he flashes, he does flash a nice plan of attack in terms of his pass rush, pass rush repertoire. Um, very good um, hand usage. Um, placement is always good. Um, knows how to swipe the hands to separate himself from opposing linemen. Um, he does display some really, really good pop in his hands. He he does have some really nice power um, um, or, and strength overall. Um, he, there are some reps where he would just simply grab dudes and just yank him to the ground Um just from arm tackling, not just like a full technique, good come to balance tackle. Um, like he will literally rip dudes to the ground. Um, and there, and I tweeted out some, po- some clips of all 22 from his USC game, which he just bulldozed everybody. Um, he, he was incredible off the line scrimmage. He just pushed it. He collapsed the pocket himself. Like he on, on a stunt, in the first quarter, either in the first or second quarter, I can't remember which it was. Um, it was on a stunt, and Thibodeau came in and just um, got under the pads of the opposing of the guard and just pushed him into Keen Slovis. And then again, he did the same thing to um, I think the right tackle number seventy later on, and he all he did he. He basically bench pressed the dude into Slovis, causing Slovis to um, make a play out of the pocket. Um, he displayed good length, able to extend himself, able to do a good job with extending and stacking and shed um, from opposing linemen. Um, he displays great bend, does a good job reducing surface area, and, and also has some nice ankle flexibility. Um, he that motor that he possesses, it it's never off is always on. Um, that's the one thing I put down for his motor is that it's always on. He never slows down. Um, he never gets tired. Like sometimes they'll take him off the field, but it'll be more of a rotation um, scenario than him just being tired because to be quite frank with you, it never looked like he ran out, out of gas, especially in against USC in the Pac-12 championship when you know, Pac-12 championship is on the line, and the New Year's Six Bowl is on the line. You know, you got to work your ass off to get this. And he did. Thibodeau dominated that game. Um, he displayed great lateral mobility, um, elite athleticism, athleticism, and good versatility. What I mean by that is that he, his versatility is that he – Oregon 
had him do plenty of things. Um, he played some linebacker at times, and I'm like, that no, don't play him at linebacker. Just play him in the dirt or from a stand-up pass rush situation or from a stand-up um, two-point technique. Um, from a three-point, from a wide nine, from a five-tech, he can play anywhere. I mean, I've seen him wind up in a three-tech sometimes. Um, I've seen him uh, – he got great football IQ in terms of um, stunts, um, twists, being able, um, you know, sometimes to he flashed the ability to really just hone on to and really see the ball in the backfield and um, collapse the mesh point. Um, there were some times, though, that um, his pass rush plan was inconsistent. I think it was a similar to serve with Chase Young coming out of Ohio or coming into his junior year at Ohio State. I think that's a similar concern with um, Thibodeau. Um, he is guilty at times of biting on, um, you know, biting on the mesh point at times, um, whether that's RPO, um, zone zone reads, uh, read options, um, play action. You know, he'll, he'll bite on that at times. And then his chest will get exposed at times, um, which I know is plenty in the USC game, which will allow um, opposing linemen to latch on and take over the rep. Um, and that's kind of which leads to him needing work with his half-man relationships. I think he really needs work there. As sometimes he'll just go, he'll just go after the offense tackle straight forward, um, trying to use more power and just finding every every which way to try and get to the quarterback. Um, you know, there there is definitely a little bit of some rawness in his game, but you know, overall he graded very very highly for me in almost every trait. Um, in all the ten traits we have for um, pass rushers here at Blue Chip Scouting. Um, you know, for edge, we have, um, first set of explosiveness, bend, flexibility, hand usage, pass rush plan, lateral mobility, run defense, strength, um, power, versatility, um, athletic ability, and then you got motor effort and physicality all kind of lumped together for one trait. Um, Kayvon Thibodeau, like I mentioned before, um, he is the only player on my board right now with a blue chip grade. Um, he may very well end up being the only one with a blue chip grade from here on out. Um, Kayvon Thibodeau or Thibodeau, he can be the best pass rusher we have seen to come out of um, college since Chase Young. Um, he could even be better than Chase Young. He has that potential. It's just up to um, Thibodeau and that Oregon coaching staff to really hone on to that potential and unleash it being, and laying him and learning a better pass rush um, or having a better pass rush plan, knowing how to stay disciplined when it comes to the mesh point um, and also establishing half-man relations. But overall, this is just a fantastic player. Yeah, I think with Thibodeau, uh, you know, part of his kind of, you know, few struggles that he has is he's he's able to win so easily with his natural talent and, and ability to get off quick, uh, his natural power as well. I think kind of the struggle with sometimes with pass rushers that, that win so easily and that can win in a variety of ways, uh, you know, they keep winning a certain way, they'll keep doing it, you know, if it, like they say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So I think for him, it's more of throwing different moves now and, and being able to string together uh, counters and, uh, you know, kind of being consistent on a down-to-down basis, realizing that, you know, sometimes I don't need to get the sack, right? Or I, I don't need to make the big play. All I got to do is do my assignment and and stay, you know, you know maybe outside contained or, you know, just go straight for the mesh point, or, or if you've got the running back in, you know, on or the quarterback on the mesh point, just stick with it, you know, and let everyone do their own job. Because I think that's kind of the thing with these big players is that they are so good that they sometimes try to play hero ball unintentionally because they know they can affect the game in so many ways, you know, and I, I feel like watching Thibodeau sometimes he does that. And I think that's a natural ability with, with the top talent. You're, you're going to naturally try to make the big play 
and try to get the ball back to your team on a consistent down-to-down basis. So sometimes you're going to be out of position and whatnot. So I definitely get it from that perspective and, and definitely understand that, you know, with top talents, that happens. So with Thibodeau, I, I fully expect him to be most people's top top player in the draft or, or at least top two or three if he's not number one, uh, which I don't see how he isn't at this point. I think he's pretty much consensus number one. And and I would agree with you. I think he, he really has the ability uh, and he's easily better than uh, probably most of the defensive ends that got drafted last year are edge rushers. Uh, he's definitely better than Jalen Phillips. Yeah, yeah. so he, he probably would have went top ten, you know, in last year's draft, and that's without even really refining his game. So uh, before I move on to my prospect, I just want to talk about yeah, – go ahead. Would he – so J.C. Horn was the first defensive player taken in last year's draft. How how high do you think Thibodeau goes? In I think this he doesn't go. I think he doesn't go lower than seven. I think he he goes probably top five, top six. Um, honestly, I like. I don't think teams will pass up on that that ability. Um, and you know it, it's. You just can't – you don't find edge rushers like him built in a lab like him often. You know, and like with Chase Young, like it was going to be obvious that he's going top two, top three. There was no doubt about it. Uh, same thing with Miles Garrett. I think Kayvon Thibodeau will be in that same elk. Uh, and if a team passes up on him in the, in the top three, I think it will be a mistake at this point. And this is just from summer scouting. I haven't seen him yet. Yeah. Obviously, we haven't seen him yet. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, yeah. That, that would be my. You thoughts. you were talking about players that, um, you were talking about Thibodeau as to him playing hero ball, and I couldn't get Mike Micah Parsons out of my head because he was a player that tried to be that tried to play hero ball all the time, and you know what? He was damn good at what he did, but at the same time. You know, was he the right pick for Dallas? Um, still a talented linebacker, but again, off field concerns. That's something that we're going to have to keep an eye on. But again, you, you were talking about hero ball players. I, I couldn't get Micah, Pars- Micah Parsons out of my mind. Um, you know, and some other play, like Chase Young, he was the t- same type of player when, um, before his junior year where he, he was trying to be um, Mr. Hero Ball all the time, um, and then he really finally learned to hone in his skill set, hone everything down, and just do his job. And he ended up be, um, being the second overall pick in the draft and arguably the best player in that draft in 2020. Um, and I'll let you go ahead and finish. Yeah, but I was going to say before I move on to my prospects, um, I was just sitting and thinking while you were talking, um, you know, I don't think we talk enough about Oregon. You know, how many times have we seen them come out with a top pick? Like, there's a good chance, like, this would be, like, what, four years in a row maybe? It'll be maybe four or five years in a row that they have a top pick. I mean, uh, you know, obviously they had Panay Sewell last year, going to have Kayvon Thibodeau this year, maybe even Noah Sewell next year. So it's like, and they had Justin Herbert in, uh, what, 2020 as well. Uh, so, I mean, they could be, a, it could be a run here. Uh, for Oregon having a top pick, and maybe that starts to pay dividends for them uh, as they continue to. I think they're they're probably one of the, if not the best school recruiting wise uh, in the Pac-12, and I don't even think it's close at this point. So I, I think Washington maybe rivals that, but in, in terms of getting top guys and churning out top picks, I mean they're starting to get that reputation. So just wanted to give a shout out to Oregon for that. Oregon has the best uniforms in college football. They have an an incredible, incredible facility. They're sponsored by Nike. Their Oregon's campus is um, maybe 35, 40 minutes away from um, Nike's campus. Like they, like they are easily one of the best at recruiting players anywhere in the country, in my opinion. Like especially in the Pac-12, where like you don't know who you're going to get out of any team in that conference, you know. Um, I would love to see Oregon back in the college football playoff. Um, and I think um, a few years down the road when we have the 2023 or 2024 when we have 
um, the 12 man college football play, 12 team college football playoff. We'll definitely see Oregon or even Washington, maybe a couple Pac 12 teams come into, um, the playoff fold. You know, that, that'll be something we'll have to watch down the road. But again, like you were saying, Oregon is doing such a great job with recruiting players, having incredible talents, um, come out year in and year out. Um, and, they don't have the deepest team in college football year in and year out. They just happen to produce individual, incredible individual talents at some of the most important positions um, in the NFL, quarterback, offensive tackle, and pass rusher. Now, I know linebackers are really one of the top positions in terms of value and I value linebackers, uh, but that that's going to be a different conversation for you. Yeah, we're, we're – yeah. But, uh, hey, all yeah. positions matter. All positions matter. That's it. Right. So I'll go ahead and transition <laughs> to, uh, one of the first players I watch. I will preface this by saying, uh, during my time off, well, one position group that I wanted to really hone in and focus on, uh, to, to improve my ability to scout it, uh, is a safety position. I feel like with last year's class, the way it, it panned out and, and not going exactly the way I thought it was going to go, uh, in terms of my projections and in terms of, how I viewed the class, um, I think that was something that I wanted to really focus on in, in improving uh, in, in this uh, this this uh, draft cycle. So, uh, you know, kind of before I get into the player I'm, I'm going to talk about, um, you know, just looking back at the 2021 class, uh, there's a few guys that I really liked that really didn't go uh, where I expected. Uh, one being James Wiggins. I was a big James Wiggins guy, uh, you know, heading to the draft. He didn't get selected to the seventh round. Uh, one of Blue Chip's favorite guys, Darius Washington, went as a undrafted free agent uh, and got picked up by the Ravens, which was a surprise as well. Um, there are a few other guys as well in the safety class that I thought should have went higher. Caden Stearns, uh, a few other guys too uh, that didn't. So for me, it's like not. Then I took a step back and, and was like, what am I? maybe not seen correctly, you know, so I did some studying, you know, looked at some of the safeties that have got taken, uh, you know, early on. Uh, and obviously we haven't seen talents like, like Derwin James, Jamal Adams, players like that in, in, in a bit. It's been a few draft classes. And, and I was high on guys like Antoine Winfield. I had a late first round grade on him and he's turned out pretty well for Tampa just after one season. But uh, for me, I wanted to improve and, and figure out where exactly the areas I needed to improve with the safety class. And I think understanding what they're being asked to do. So I've looked at a lot of schemes, a lot of coverages, you know, how teams employ safeties. Uh, so the first safety I, I decided to go ahead and knock out first was uh, Kendrick Duncan. Uh, he he played for Georgia Southern last year, and he's a Louisville transfer now. First thing that I saw with him, uh, and first thing that, that really makes a good safety is range. I saw him be able to play single high safety, uh, too high, uh, be able to roll down the box, roll coverages before the snap and after the snap, um, and, and being able to react quickly and, and make plays on the ball. Uh, he was very productive with ball production. I uh, believe he had a couple interceptions last year. Uh, and 2019 was his kind of breakout year where he had, uh, I believe, six interceptions um, and, and several passes defense. Uh, there was a couple plays that I was watching. I watched him play against some of his best schools that he's played against. So Minnesota, LSU, he played in 2019. He really held his own against both teams. And, uh, you know, thinking about both those teams, they have several draft picks on, on that team. Obviously, LSU had Terrace Marshall, uh, you know, uh, Jamar Chase, and uh, somebody else that I'm forgetting. Um Oh, they had Justin Jefferson as well. Can't believe I forgot him. Um, but they had those, that three had a monster, and Georgia Southern's defense really held well. And, and granted, that was like the first game LSU really was together, and they still won fifty-two to three. It wasn't like you know they held them under like forty points. But uh, what I saw was his ability to play to stick tight ends. Uh, he has the ability to match up man to man, tight end wise. Uh, he did so against uh, Thad Moss, who was a draft. Twitter darling uh, before he, he went, I believe he went undrafted and they got released by the Washington football team. But I saw a play where he ran a corner. Uh, Duncan was on top of that, uh, was able to transition from backpedaling back, into breaking on the ball, 
but Burrow uh, decided to scramble a little bit, kind of manipulate the pocket, and uh, Duncan stayed hip-to-hip with Moss, and he was able to make a passive selection. That was the first play I was like, okay, this this guy has something here. Second play I saw, there was a double movement ran by Rashad Bateman. He ran like an out-and-up, and the outside corner bit. So with Kendrick Duncan playing uh, a dual, uh, too high safety look, he had the over-the-top coverage. So he had to go step-for-step step with Rashad Bateman. It was probably like a 50-60 yard throw. He stayed step-for-step step with him and made the pass deflection, uh, like basically swatting through his hands as Bateman was going up for the catch. So that was another play that kind of stood out to me. And, and probably this first play of the game, actually against Minnesota, he had an interception. Uh, they tried to run like a glance route with Tyler Johnson. Uh, Tanner Morgan didn't, did not throw the ball well. He threw it behind, but Duncan was right there. He intercepted the pass. So th- that was like three plays for me that was like, okay, you know, this guy – I'm not expecting him to be a, a top-round pick, but I think he can be a really good mid-round safety, mid-round value pick. So I'm finalizing his, his grade right now, and I kind of docked him for a few things. There was, one was he kind of struggles tackling in open field. Like, he can do it, and he likes to deliver big blows, but he uh, his uh, technique has to improve in terms of attacking. Uh, you know, he, he made a good play on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire on the outside, but he did a shoestring tackle instead of coming to balance and making the play. Uh, so you would like to see him do that better. Uh, running the alley, he has some inconsistency with that. Um, he, at times, he's very authoritative and, and very declarative when on uh, coming downhill and making the play, but other times he's a little hesitant, uh, which can you know lead to cutback lanes, which can lead to missed tackles. So those are a couple of things I docked him for, uh, and I think that he has to improve as he makes his transition to Louisville. Uh, but some encouraging signs for me already. Uh, he won newcomer of the spring for the team already because uh, he, he had a full spring with Louisville. So that's a good sign. Um, and he's going to be paired with uh, one of my other favorite safeties uh, from last year that I watched in the summer, which is Quinterio Cole, that transferred from Alcorn State. But uh, looking at Kendrick Duncan's game, I think he's probably going to be, I would say, if I had to guess, he's not going to be one of the top guys, I don't think. He may crack my top five. Uh, I need to, to really dive into safety class. I know Brandon Joseph, Kyle Hamilton are probably likely over him for sure. I know that for sure. Um, but I want to kind of dive more into them. But I think he can shape up as a as easily a top 10 safety in this class. And uh, I'm probably going to have a fourth-round grade on him. But he was definitely interesting to watch. And I think uh, having someone not be a top player already, because um, I already know Kyle Hamilton is by and far the best safety without a doubt, but having someone like that that probably is a mid-round guy but can make an impact, I think, immediately, and he can play that single high role and and two high role. So he has that versatility. Um, I think you, I would see him more as a, a coverage-type safety instead of an in-the-box guy, but uh, he definitely has a size. He definitely has a reactionary ability, and, and he definitely has the playmaking ability. So I, I like him, probably a fourth-round grade for me. Uh, just just based on the circumstances, uh, you know, the tape that I saw of him uh, and some of the areas improvement, but I really like what I saw from him. Something I've noticed when people on draft Twitter have, um, when they're discussing the safety class, is that, like, the talent seems so much better than it has in a couple of years. Um, Kyle Hamilton, Brandon Joseph, um, just two of the top names at that position, um, two names that were easily um, some of the top names for our uh, All-American teams. Uh, you know, the, the safety class looks enticing and looks intriguing. Um, Lewis Sign is um, another name that comes to mind, the safety out of Georgia. Um, you know, there are some good names, good talented players out there at that position, and the safety position is becoming more and more valuable as the year, as each year goes by. Because when you think about where the league is today in the NFL, you need something. I've learned um, even from this past draft is that you need a safety that can really play anywhere. Um, 
that can come down and play in the box, can play Sam or Will linebacker if you need him to. Even play Mike linebacker if you want. Playing him in the nickel can be a good nickel defender. You can play him um, split safety. You can play him single high. I mean, you need guys like that more and more in this league. Um, and a good example of that is Jeremy Chin, the Carolina Panthers safety, um, the rookie from last year, entering his second year, and he's expected to take another big step um, at becoming one of the best at his position. That's another player that is very versatile, can win um, just with his athleticism alone, but he's continually learning the improving his football IQ in that area, but just like his size, his speed, his athleticism, his smarts, his ability to play any position you want him to. He has had um, reps at cornerback, nickel, linebacker, Mike, Will, Sam, um, in the box, split high. You know, you need guys like that in the NFL today, and that's kind of why the linebacker position is kind of being more devalued. But another thing I learned from this past draft, and I talked about it, um, I think in the the last episode um, I had was um, that the NFL likes linebackers that can come downhill and make plays against the run. There weren't a lot of linebackers in this draft that could do that. And you saw guys like Micah Parsons, Zayvon Collins, um, uh, Jamin Davis um, go higher because um, they made good plays against the run and they flashed good um, playmaking ability against the run. And they were somewhat raw against the pass, except for Zayvon Collins. I think he was probably one of the better um, pass coverage linebackers in uh, in the draft, despite him being such a massive figure um, with great size and length. Uh, but it seemed like the NFL is trending more towards you just need that one good downhill linebacker than at Sam or Will doesn't matter who you have. You can have a safety, you can have a traditional Sam or a traditional Will or a big safety like Jeremy Jeremy Chin that can play either of those spots. You know, that's kind of how the league is trending. So I think that's something that we as draft analysts, um, as we continue to learn and um, we as like um, football analysts overall, we need to realize, okay, safety position needs to be closer towards top priority for teams that want to build a roster right. If you get yourself a good safety, you got yourself a damn good player in that back end for years to come that can play the second level at a high level too. And a good example of that is Derwin James. You know, we haven't seen him healthy in a couple years, uh, fully healthy since his rookie year, but assuming he's fully healthy now this year, he is going to be the perfect example of what today's um, NFL safety is going to be like. So that's going to be something very interesting I'm, that I'm looking forward to seeing this year and, and for the years to come. So, you know, I, I think um, when we talk about what are the most valuable positions um, in the in football, quarterback, pass rusher, cornerback, or quarterback, edge, cornerback, um, offensive tackle. Um, you could probably include uh, just the offensive line overall. Um, and then safety. I think you have to have a good player on that back end. Um, you, you have any – if you have good players at any of those spots, I think your football team is going to win plenty of football games. I mean, yeah. Look at look at the the Bucks. I mean, look at the Chiefs. I mean, the Chiefs don't necessarily have great corners, but they got Tyron Matthew, and he's kind of that chess piece. You know, uh, the Bucks. They got Antoine Winfield Jr. Obviously, got their offensive line. They got Tristan Wirfs, who really improved that, helped improve that offensive line, uh, and obviously Tom Brady. So, yeah, you're right about that. That's why exactly I wanted to focus more on safety class because I feel like even last year's class, we really didn't like we talked about it. And we talked about, obviously, Trayvon Merrick was most people's safety one. But I feel like we really didn't talk about the safety class in depth, you know, because we there was a lot of guys people like. And I feel like it was just a lot of dart throws at the at the board because it's like, okay, we like him. But where does he fit? 
you know, how does he fit in the defense? And I think we haven't been talking about that as much because obviously we have, I think, and I think we need to start kind of separating, you know, the safety position too, because there are some guys that are more of a strong safety, more of an in the box guy. You got more of the coverage guys as well. Cause we started to do that with the edge guys. We do outside linebackers and straight, uh, you know, defensive ends, you know, uh, or like uh, hand in the ground or stand up defensive ends. You know, we kind of separated that. So I think eventually we should get to the point where we're doing that for safeties because there are, there are different types of guys out there. And I feel like Kendrick Nuck is more of the free type of safety. And then like guys like Bubba Bolden is more of a strong safety or, you know, guys like that. Kyle Hamilton is more of a strong safety, you know? Mm-hmm. So I feel like, we got to start. I think eventually we're going to get to a point where we have to kind of separate those type of guys because there are different type of guys, just like how we do with corners. There are zone yep. corners, there are man corners. So I think for me personally, that's going to kind of be a goal of mine uh, in this next draft class is not only be able to do evaluations, but be able to say, okay, he's this type of safety, or he's this type of player. And I feel like that will just continue to to help me grow as well, to be able to separate my mind. So I'm not, so when I'm doing safety class, you know, safety rankings, I can kind of separate them. And I don't have to feel like I'm choosing this guy over the other, because I like his role specifically in this type of defense when it's not really apples to apples. It's more of a a different type of thing. Yeah. And I think that's something we'll have to, um, us at Blue Chip Scouting, when we have um, another scouting meeting to talk about um, our tr- the traits we look at for each position, we may have to consider um, maybe even splitting up um, or differentiating uh, what type of safeties there are. We could start just having um, 10 different traits for um, strong safeties, free safeties, and hybrids. Um, and I think you're going to have to also, um, um, you know, have, um, different names for, um, each position, um, like strong safety SS, um, free safety FS, and then for hybrid HYB, that's off the top of my head. Uh, you know, we may have to differentiate um, those. And, you know, there are also some draft analysts that do that already. Um, there are also some draft analysts that really break it down to, like, the specifics, um, especially on, like, the defensive line or at linebacker or at um, on the offensive line. They don't just do interior offensive line. They go, okay, who's the best center? Who's the best guard? Who's the best right tackle, the best left tackle? Who's the best one tech, the three tech, five tech, um, nine wide, um, or wide nine? Um, who's the best Sam, the best Will? You know, it, that we're going to have to be – at some point we'll end up being at that point. But right now I think we're just kind of trying to simplify that as we continue to grow as draft analysts here at Blue Chip Sky because we are a young group of people – or young group of analysts that are still learning the game – um, we have plenty of guys that are either have graduated high school or about to start college or are, you know, just getting done with their freshman year in college. You know, we have so many young guys, um, including myself, that um, still have a ways to go in terms of the knowledge of the game. You know, you're learning something new every day, and that's kind of my been my mentality for um for everyday life and also for being a draft analyst, you know, you're learning something every day um, in terms of the game of football, in terms of draft prospects, what you're looking for in each prospect um, at different positions. So that's something we um, will be talking about for months to come, years to come, as long as this podcast and blue chip scouting is around, um, we'll continue to talk about it. One thing I want to talk about before we end this podcast, our first podcast back together, Devin, is the All-22 problem. The other day, um, a good friend of ours, um, someone we know really well, um, Nick Farbaugh, um, one of the smartest minds in terms of um, draft analysis, Pittsburgh Steelers, you name it, um, he got his main account suspended. He had over 10 – he had well over 10K – followers um, had 
was very well known throughout the community. He got his account suspended, I believe, because of an all-22 clip. Um, and that kind of sent shockwaves through draft Twitter and through all the people that really love watching all-22 film, especially from Game Pass, especially from the cause all-22 that we watch. But us all know is that, you know, we got to be careful. But at the same time, it's like, so you're going to, you know, not allow us to post the content that make us more credible that even for like the smaller accounts, sometimes all 22 is will help you grow your account because you're providing analysis from an all 22 perspective of what you're seeing on tape and this company that I'm not going to name because if they somehow hear this and all that, they're going to go through my account and you know, I'm off Twitter so I'm not going to name the company, but this company is kind of is like ass backwards with this whole thing because, you know, you want to protect your company and also the stuff you bring out for college teams and NFL teams. But at the same time, you're not allowing others to do to do their livelihood like some people actually watch tape for a living for like that is what they do for a job they watch all 22 tape they make money off watching this tape and yet you're taking that away it's like really like some some of these copyright rules are ridiculous like i get for some reasons i get for others, like the All-22 and even the DMCA, um, when it comes to music and all, all that stuff, you know, that that's ridiculous. We should be able to play um, artists that aren't that well-known and be able to produce that good music without, like, and I'm kind of giving a shout-out to Twitch streamers like Nick Merckx. He, um, he got... Um, he got a strike from the DMCA or from Twitch for um, playing too much Drake music, you know, and like Drake was fine with, and he told um, his viewers, you know, Drake was fine with it. He had talking to Drake because he's that, that popular and that well known throughout the Twitch and gaming community. He was allowed to play his music from Drake himself. And yet he got, he got a copyright strike and you know, it, a DMCA strike, and you know, that's aggravating for even people that are trying to make it in that industry and also trying to make it in our industry with college film, NFL film, all 22. It's ridiculous. It's bullshit. It's absolute bullshit that we are now at the point where we have to block all sorts of accounts just to be able to post all 22 without having to worry about losing our, for some people, their livelihood because creating content is what we love to do. We love to provide great draft analysis, great football analysis to fans that would need it and also provide opportunities for players that are, that would be unknown without all 22 being known. You know, there are plenty of names out there that wouldn't be known without All-22. You know, there are definitely some names I wouldn't be able to know without All-22, especially from a draft and NFL perspective. So that's – that, and, and from a college football perspective. You know, it, it's super aggravating that it's come to this point and it shouldn't have. You know, that that's something that needs to be addressed. Um, and that's something that – you know, someone someone brought up like, oh, we should all of draft Twitter should try to lawsuit this company and all that. You know, no, no, they we we need to speak up more about it so then there can be rules that could be changed. But of course, this also goes back to federal government stuff. You know, you have to take this possibly to the Supreme Court, which I don't think anyone would want to do at all. I certainly wouldn't. You know, I, I don't want to look like a fool out myself. I don't want to take anything to the Supreme Court. You know, it, it's 
it's ridiculous. It's something we're going to have to live with. It's something that we're going to have to be careful with. But at the same time, it's absolute bullshit that um, this company and also DMCA is not allowing artists from from all sorts of different types of music and also people from draft Twitter, from the football world that do football analysis from doing what they love to do. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's definitely concerning for sure. But I think at, at the end of the day, man, it, it you gotta gotta do what you gotta do at this point. I mean, we we can worry about you know this company, um, you know, taking action and whatnot. But uh, at the end of the day, like you said, you know, people are making a living out of this. You know, they're they're content creators full time, or you know, they're writing for a company or or, uh, you know, creating content for a company, you know, like PFN has people, the draft network, all types, all types of guys, uh, you know, have different, different accounts and, and, you know, kind of use the ability to have all 22 to, to post analysis and, and use it uh, kind of in their articles and whatnot. So I think from that perspective, it's, it's going to be difficult to kind of navigate. Uh, and, and it sucks what happened to Nick, because uh, I was even talking to him last night, uh, you know, about, my own process and I didn't get, you know, uh, struck down with any copyright or anything, but it was more so an issue of uh, my account being compromised. But I have seen the notices before with uh, copyright things and, and they'll let you know, like, look, you know, you got to take this down or your account will be suspended. And, uh, you know, as Nick was explaining, he didn't even get the opportunity. They just straight up suspended him, you know, so. You know, it, like I said, it's concerning, but at the same time, you know, you got to keep just kind of pushing forward. Because, I mean, you know, we, we can do all we can on, on our end. Uh, and, and it's unfortunate that we have to deal with this type of issue, especially the game of football. I mean, it's not like we're like, I mean, we're there are people profiting because they understand what they're seeing. with all 22, but it's not like they're selling it and being like, look, you know, I'm trying to make a huge profit off of it. So. I think, you know, from that perspective, it's like you want to be able to, to watch these players and, and have those doable angles. Because, I mean, just watching broadcast film doesn't tell you the full story, especially for like offensive line, uh, you know, even for running backs, quarterbacks. So I think, you know, it's definitely been helpful for, for us, at least. I know I got my first like dose of all 22, like right at the end of the 2020 draft season. And uh, then I was kind of able to go from there once I joined Blue Chip Scouting. So it's definitely been helpful for my analysis and everyone has that analysis at Blue Chip and, and, and beyond. So it, you definitely hope that there's going to be at some point a change. But like you said, a lawsuit, I don't think it's viable. You know, no one on draft Twitter is like swimming in money anyway. <laughs> I mean, most of the people are doing this for fun. It's not like we're making a big profit off it. Like 95 to 98% of the people creating content on draft Twitter or doing it for free or, or doing it for a very small wage. So it's not like we're, we're making a huge profit off of it. So I don't understand why it's a big deal. The goal, the goal for all of us, you know, is to be able to do this as a, as a full-time job, as we're making good money off this for a living. So we can help ourselves pay the bills at our home, pay our car insurance, you know, all of that. So, um, you know, we're, we're going to continue to keep our heads down, put out the content, put out the work, you know. Um, I have a burner. That's something we need to talk about real quick. Um, you know, the other day I suggested to Devin, hey, we should have a, we should act, since we're approaching a year with um, the Driving Up podcast, we should have an account for it. We both, um, Devin got it created, and it's become my favorite burner account. Um, trust me, it's the only burner I have. I'm not John Vogel with 85 different accounts. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I'm not out here like Fusubu with you know, a burner, like, I had him blocked one time, and he still had my screenshots and tweets about him and talking shit behind my back, you know, it, it's whatever, it's drama, it's behind us anymore, he's homophobic anyway, but, anyways, um, 
you know, I love this account. Um, and I think it, it I want to, the goal for my, and I've tweeted this already, the goal for the account is to, to tweet content for, um, for the Draft Nut podcast and as well for the both of us to share to others, um, while also having fun with it. You know, we're gonna, um, be petty. We're gonna be, we're, we're gonna have fun with it. That, that's the goal of it. And I, like, I think, I think it was yesterday, I was having way too much fun of just DMing a bunch of the blue chip, bunch of our, um, colleagues, just like, trolling the crap out of them and I was like this is fun I like doing this I love doing this <laughs> I, I I messaged you about Penn State I was like you know Penn State's the most overrated program in college football and you were like bro I'm an LSU fan I completely forgot I was like oh man yeah yeah, yeah I was like uh, that doesn't really affect me I mean I kind of agree but <laughs> it was funny because I was like oh, I, I mean I kind of agree so uh, I mean, I can't talk shit to LSU, man. Like, I'll, that's one of my favorite programs in the country. And the talent that comes out of that program every year, like, I have to respect that program. It won the national championship. Completely. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, I mean, there it, it was a it was a bad year. I mean, I, I'm not even gonna try and defend it. I really didn't even I wasn't even like super tuned into the game because I already knew that it was gonna be a down year. I mean, they lost, like, a historic offense. It's not like they were – and they didn't have a quarterback really in waiting. So it was just all bad. I rem- You remember this. I was harping on LSU. I was like, LSU ain't going going. – they're going to fall up a tiny bit, but they're not going to fall up that bad. And then I watched the first – I watched the Mississippi State, and then the next game after that, I was like, oh, yeah, they're bad. <laughs> they're bad. You're really bad. Oh, man. And you froze up on camera. I think you're good. I think everything's good. All right. Good. Okay. Great. All righty, guys. Thank you so much for listening to the Draft Nut Podcast. We're officially back. We're back. And tomorrow, there won't be a Thursday recording. There will be a live stream recording. And it will be on YouTube. On the Blue Chip Scouting YouTube account and on the Blue Chip Scouting Twitter account. We'll be live streaming Drack Nuts live. See you guys then. Adios. Peace.